dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Hey folks, this is Jamar Tisby, president of The Witness and co-host of the Pass the Mic podcast. What you're about to hear is an address I gave in South Africa on the topic, Reconciliation and Justice, Are They Friends or Enemies? This presentation has a very special place in my heart because it's the very first public presentation I gave in sub-Saharan Africa. One of the things that I mention in this short speech is it's good to be home. And that's what it felt like. It felt like a homecoming to go to sub-Saharan Africa. I was there for two weeks in November of 2019 on a vision trip. And this was at a conference, a Truth's Table conference, where Truth's Table are, are good friends and sisters. They recorded a live podcast there. Before they recorded their podcast, I got to go up and share some of my thoughts on race relations from a U.S. perspective. And then after me in a separate address, someone uh, uh, shared a South African perspective on race relations. But in my talk, I touch on the topic of racial reconciliation what it means and how it's been used or misused in the U.S. Christian context. I give some of my personal reflections and experiences with racial reconciliation, and then I talk about the concept of racial justice and why that might be a more useful term for us as we pursue justice in terms of racial and ethnic relations. So I, I hope it gives you some good food for thought. Thanks for tuning in and listening to this address all the way from South Africa. This episode is brought to you in part by Baker Publishing Group. Most of us don't want to spend our lives being time wasters, space takers, binge watchers, or game players. We want to be difference makers. But maybe we make changing the world a little more complex than it really is. Making a difference isn't measured by a viral post or a name on a building. It isn't determined by a following or a fan base. Want to make a difference? Focus on just one person at a time. That's the secret of the way of Jesus. In his newest book, One at a Time, Kyle Eidelman invites us to better understand the surprising habits of Jesus and the power of small things done with great love. He challenges true disciples to fully commit to the unexpected Jesus way of changing the world by loving people one at a time. Baker Bookhouse is pleased to partner with Christianity Today to offer a special discount on your copy of One at a Time. Visit bakerbookhouse.com by February 28th, 2022 and use promo code 12022. That's O N E 2022 to receive 40% off with free shipping. Hello, Zanzi! Hello! Ah! Yazin! Hey, this podcast must, must just not go anyway. So, welcome uh, to the. Uh, Truth Table Conference. Uh, thank you so much for coming out tonight a little bit earlier than the time you're supposed to be here. Uh, most importantly, thank you to all those who've joined us from the United States of America. We want to welcome you. I tried to get uh, my brothers and sisters to give you a South African welcome, a Joburg welcome, but it's been a long day. It's been a hot summer. But let me try again. Hello, Zansi! Yay! Right. So welcome to Johannesburg, welcome to Hope Church. Uh, we've got a wonderful time together with us uh, this evening. Now, a lot of things have happened in our country uh, in the last few weeks, as they always happen every now and again. Um, uh, Vicky Monenberg is on the run. 
the lady who has been convicted of uh, racial slurs. Uh, Angus Beckham has uh, come out and said stuff that we all thought was horrible and he's apologized. And then there was the bomb squad and now we are divided. Uh, Musa wants to celebrate the Springboks, I don't want. Um, a lot of things have happened. But what we want to do, uh, the aim of uh, what we want to do, or where we want to be, is in the song that we just sang now. A time when Abansundu Nabamthope can come together and sing together uh, in truth and in, uh, in, in, in genuine faith and love for one another. So we want to see that happen. And the Truth Table Conference helps us. It's one of the tools that can help us to do that. So welcome uh, to the Truth Table Conference. And uh, we hope that at the end of the day that we'll be better equipped to, uh, to have a Bansundu Nabamthope fellowshipping together in love. I also want to tell you that CBD is especially curated books that have got to do with uh, um, reconciliation and justice. So please do go to the uh, CBD uh, book stand in the hall just up there. Uh, and today, if you get a book, you instantly get a Bible. A book, a Bible. Ha! Ah, and books are starting at two rand. Even like today, I, it will be by choice. Amen. Amen. So we're going to get started now, and I'm going to uh, introduce uh, an American uh, side to the story, or uh, an American view. So Jamal is going to come uh, first and talk to us, and I just want to tell you a little bit about him, if I can get Pocha's phone to work. And Right, so just a little bit about him. I think uh, uh, some of you might know him from The Color of Compromise, the book that he wrote. But there's more to him than just that. He's also uh, a pre uh, the president of The Witness, a black Christian collective and co-host also of uh, Pass the Mic podcast. He's doing his studies still at the University of Mississippi. So we want to welcome you, brother, and you'll talk to us about uh, um, justice and reconciliation from an American point of view. Uh, and I think a lot of us are familiar with some of the issues that have happened there, police brutality uh, and many incarceration rates and all that that are happening in our brothers in the diaspora. We want our brothers to come back home, but uh, it looks like you don't want to come back home. While you are there, we want to know how we can help and pray for you. But home, this is home. So, Jama, let's go. Let's put our hands together. Good evening. evening. And it's so good to be home. <laughs> I bring you uh, good news from the United States. Uh, I only have 10 minutes, so I'll be brief and, and get to the point. But the good news is that the project of racial reconciliation among Christians has been a resounding success. Unequivocal non-negotiable success. In other words, racial reconciliation worked. Uh, you don't believe me. In 1995, the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, finally, after 150 years, repented of its pro-slavery foundations in 1845 when it split over the question of slavery. Said that was wrong. Repudiated it. In 2003 and 2004, the Presbyterian Church in America, of which this delegation is partly affiliated, 
also wrote a statement, issued a document repudiating racism and issuing theological and biblical teaching about the equality of all people. In 2012, the Southern Baptist Convention again elected its first black president, Fred Luter, in its over 150-year history. And if you look at the statistics, the percentage of churches that are considered multi-ethnic or multi-racial continues to inch higher and higher. It is now not uncommon to find black people and other people of color in positions of power, authority, or at least present in historically white denominations, organizations, and affiliations. Reconciliation worked. Or did it? So I gave you some statistics on racial reconciliation. Let's talk about justice. So, in the year of our Lord, 2019, black women continue to die in maternity-related deaths at three to four times the rate of white women. Black unemployment, although it has reached near-historic lows, continues to be almost double that of white people. Black men, like myself, continue to be incarcerated at a rate of nearly one in three as compared to white men who are incarcerated at a rate of one in 17. Now that's the quantitative data. The qualitative data is just as sobering. If you talk to many black people, especially those affiliated with predominantly white Christian organizations, even those organizations that have verbally professed to be all about racial reconciliation, you will find that the experience of black Christians is one of constant persecution. I'll tell you a little bit of my own story. I speak and write publicly about race quite often. And I was one of those who was fully committed to this project of racial reconciliation. I read Genesis 1, 26 and 27 about the image of God and all of us being in the image and likeness of our creator. I read passages like Galatians 3, 28. I read Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9. People of every tribe and tongue and nation gathered around the throne and I say the church should represent this and I want to be part of that solution. And so I go into these Christian churches, Christian organizations, Christian denominations, and I become part of it. And I say, brothers and sisters, let's show unity. Let's lead the way in society on reconciliation. And I, I invest my heart into this. I invest my wife and my, my child into this. And we bring our full selves into this project. And what happens? In August of 2014, a teenager named Mike Brown was shot and killed by a white police officer in a little town I'd never heard of called Ferguson, Missouri. Afterwards, the police respond to the justified outrage of the local residents with a military show of force with tanks and full suits of armor. In the midst of this, a hashtag that had been created already in the wake of another unjustified killing of a black male teenager, a movement called Black Lives Matter comes to the fore. And it was very telling because when we as black Americans said black lives matter, it was as if white Americans and white Christian Americans heard, we hate you. When all we were saying is black lives matter. 
Black Lives Matter as a theological expression of lament for the centuries of abuse that people of African descent have experienced at the hands of white people and white supremacy and racism, Black Lives Matter, meaning not only Black Lives Matter, but that Black Lives Matter too. And when we said this basic assertion of fact, expecting our white brothers and sisters who had committed to this racial reconciliation project, when we said black lives matter, they said all lives matter, minimizing our experiences. When they said black lives matter, they said blue lives matter, not hearing our pain, not hearing our lament, but not only that, In 2016, America elected its 45th president. The election took place in November 2016. He announced his candidacy in the summer of of 2015. So for over a year, we're dealing with this man's rhetoric and his posture. Leading up to the election, virtually every historically marginalized group, women, immigrants, Muslims, black people, raised their voices in protest. They said, we hear his rhetoric and we see his actions and we're telling you, our fellow citizens and our brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not going to be good for us. On election day in November 2016, the exit polls showed that White evangelical Christians had voted for this man to the tune of 80%. Four out of five who had voted pulled the lever for this man who we all said was dangerous. Now when you bring it up, it's a problem. So the night after the election, I recorded a podcast on our podcast, Pass the Mic. I used to think that the most controversial topic I could talk about was race. Turns out the most controversial topic is politics. So when I said on that podcast that that Sunday I didn't feel comfortable worshiping in a majority white Christian church, people who were not familiar with nor did not care to learn about the black experience picked up that comment, hurled it back at me and called me the racist. Over the next several months ensued a period of what I can only describe as persecution like I had never experienced before, whether it was comments on blog posts, interactions in person with fellow church members, social media, other podcasts attacking. It was a constant deluge of racism. Now that's one man's experience, but I think it is representative of many. I think what we need to do is reconsider this idea of racial reconciliation as has been practiced. I want to be clear, reconciliation is a biblical word and in its biblical terms, it's a beautiful word. But the way it has been used and abused, the way it has been practiced and malpracticed is a problem. In its current manifestation among Christians, racial reconciliation presents the problem as people being separate. So the solution is to get everyone together. When in reality, the problem is people are suffering and the solution is justice and repair. Racial reconciliation views integration as the goal with justice as an afterthought. Justice views truth and repairs as the goal with integration as only possible if those first two goals are met. 
So as I close my time, what is a way forward or how should we begin to think about these issues? First of all, this is just me, take it or leave it, but I use the term racial justice instead of racial reconciliation. Not because reconciliation is unbiblical, but because the biblical term has been co-opted by unbiblical connotation. I use racial justice because justice is logically prior to as well as constitutive of reconciliation. Can't separate them. I wrote in The Color of Compromise that history and scripture teach us there can be no reconciliation without repentance, that there can be no repentance without confession, and there can be no confession without truth. And so one of the things I do is study, speak, and write about history. Why? Because history is a form of truth-telling. And there's a lot of history in both of our countries that people would rather forget or hide. But the truth needs to come to light. Finally, and I've never said this publicly, but it must be said because it is more and more apparent that racial reconciliation in the church has most often and tangibly benefited two groups of people white Christian men and black Christian men. Racial reconciliation, any form of racial reconciliation that leaves black women left out or left behind is not reconciliation at all. Black Christian men in particular, we need to challenge each other not to be seduced by the money, the platform, and the attention that comes when we engage in racial reconciliation projects with white Christian men. A just form of reconciliation means not only that black and white Christian men rise together, but that women, and especially black women, rise too. So on our topic for this evening, are reconciliation and justice friends or enemies? I think the question we need to ponder is this, what kind of reconciliation can be friends with justice? Thank you.